This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Contact tracing is invasive. Data retention policies by governments are less than clear. And given the limitations of the technologies in use, contact tracing may not be very effective. In the Cato Institute's new report, Pandemics and Policy, Cato's Matthew Feeney and Julian Sanchez contribute a chapter detailing some better practices to protect privacy for contact tracing. At the beginning of this pandemic, contact tracing was uh, one of the many solutions that was thrown out there. Um, and uh, a great debate raged between public versus private uh, and to what degree the state would know things about us, frankly. Where does that stand now? Uh, how many states have uh, undertaken contact tracing and how have they done it? It's actually hard to say. Um, you know, you know, one thing we're seeing is that uh, the uptake of digital contact tracing, of, of technology-assisted contact tracing, specifically using uh, smartphone-based applications, uh, has been a lot slower and more spotty uh, than anyone I think really had expected. Um, uh, there was uh, an instance in I think Utah where uh, an app was uh, developed and rolled out, but had enormous uh, issues and, and frankly some privacy problems. It was sharing information uh, inappropriately with third parties. I think uh, Colorado is poised to become the first uh, state to roll out uh, an app uh, that is integrating the new Apple Google um, Model and there's a handful of states. I think, frankly, maybe four or five states have indicated an intention to adopt uh, the protocol that those two companies jointly developed that uses uh, Bluetooth proximity sensing to uh, detect or do as a proxy for uh, proximity and therefore potential exposure to COVID. Uh, but you know, the vast majority of states may be doing some kind of manual contact tracing, uh, but uh, have not prioritized uh, the digital version. And indeed, uh, we've seen states that began developing contact tracing apps essentially back off that and focus on other priorities. Uh, I think that's in part because even manual contact tracing, which is a more familiar process, that is, you're not tracking people's proximity or location with their phones, but you are having teams of trained interviewers trying to uh, talk to people who are, are uh, diagnosed with COVID uh, and then manually try and phone up people that they've been in proximity to um, are, are essentially um, non-functional. Uh, and you have a lot of parts of the country where effectively they're, they're abandoning even that or, or have essentially given up on it um, because there's a whole infrastructure that is necessary to make contact tracing work meaningfully. So if you don't have relatively rapid turnaround testing, at some level, there's not that much point. If you find out five days or a week later um, that that you have tested positive and now you're uh, going back and trying to tell people to quarantine that you had contact with a week ago and have been uh, not quarantined in the interim, at some level, you know, you're, you're not doing a whole lot of good there. Um, so you need the infrastructure for uh, relatively rapid turnaround testing so you can catch people before they've spread it, which is the, uh, the, the goal. Uh, and some level, you need fairly um, widespread participation 
And so the other problem that the you know, manual contracting trading is seen is that in lots of parts of the country, um, the contact tracers you know have training and communications problems, cannot get a hold of uh, uh, of people who are they're they're trying to contact, uh, and frankly find that people aren't interested in participating. Uh, I think on on uh, what I've read at least is that on college campuses in particular, um, there is a fairly low level of participation uh, with contact tracing. So in a sense, lacking that infrastructure, and you know, I think all experts agree that the digital contact tracing, technologies of contact tracing, is never going to be a sort of silver bullet on its own. That to to have an effective contact tracing system that relied primarily or exclusively on uh, sort of the app-based uh, approach, you would need something like 60 to 80 percent of the uh, of the population to have downloaded and installed this app, and that's that's just not going. You, know, you don't even have that for Instagram or Facebook. Uh, so uh, this needed to be a sort of supplement to manual contact tracing. Uh, and I think you know what we're what we're seeing is that in most of the country, uh, we we don't really have the infrastructure uh, for a useful functional contact tracing system. Given the limitations of the technology, Matthew, why are states pursuing it? Well, there are a number of, I think, obvious uh, political reasons, which is a lot of officials all across the country are in a position where they have to look as if they're they're doing something. And we've seen a- across the country numerous different approaches to tackling the ongoing pandemic. And certainly utilizing technology uh, is one way to, to do that. But uh, for, for reasons I think Julian uh, outlined, there, there are certain limitations there. Uh, and, and I think there are certainly... Uh, technological and infrastructure issues that should make us cautious of certain approaches, but there are also uh, civil liberties concerns. And certainly the the chapter that we've put together tries to highlight ways in which if technology-assisted contact tracing is going to be used, that we can limit uh, the civil liberties concerns. Uh, we should remember that uh, if, you, if you grant that uh, cell phones are usually a good proxy for the location of their owners, which is, I think, a fair assumption, uh, we also have to grant that they reveal rather sensitive information about uh, personal lives, uh, religious affiliations, uh, health status, and, and other, other things like that. And there's, there's that issue. Uh, there's also, I would say, the, the other issue of potential over-inclusion, which is uh, if, if I'm in a car and uh, I have this contact tracing app installed and then a bus pulls up next to me and one of the passengers has the same app installed and later tests positive, although we were within physical proximity, uh, the actual risk of exposure was relatively limited. Uh, so that, that's another issue that um, ought, to be, uh, ought to be considered. Uh, frankly, I think uh, we... As I think Julian put well, we're, we're sort of at the point of uh, we're beyond the point of this kind of method being particularly uh, useful, at least in in many parts of the country hardest hit. Uh, but uh, what what I think we tried to do in the chapter was to emphasize that uh, any data collected this way should be reserved for uh, response to the pandemic and should not be handed out to other uh, to to law enforcement officials uh, and. Downloading the app uh, should not be a condition for certain federal benefits. Uh, that that's, I think, you know, a, a number of the points uh, that we raised uh, include those. I mean, there are others we can discuss, but I think those are perhaps the two most important. Uh, you know, I would I would say it, you know, it's important to recognize that um, contact tracing is sort of most useful in a specific context, which is to say, when you have 
the virus largely under control. You are, uh, you know, perhaps in a position to start reopening things. And uh, you want to ensure that you are able to nip uh, new outbreaks or new transmission in the bud before they become a serious problem. If you're in a situation where you effectively have kind of uncontrolled transmission, um, contact tracing is relatively not that useful there, right? The, the idea is um, if you've got something under control and want to keep it contained, want to prevent it from beginning to spread uh, out of control again, um, contact tracing is likely to be very useful. If you're not at that stage yet, uh, then... Uh, you know, again, especially if you don't have relatively rapid turnaround testing, uh, contact tracing is less useful. So we, as we progress, as we get to a point where things are more open, where, uh, you know, perhaps there's not wide distribution of a vaccine yet, but um, things are more under control. I think that's a scenario where, um, and especially when, when perhaps public health uh, agencies are less uh, swamped, um, where you'll start to see... Uh, you know, more focused on, all right, well, can we, uh, you know, solidify and lock in the gains we've made via uh, greater contact tracing to prevent this from becoming a second or a third wave? What about the data? Uh, to the extent that states are are looking into this, I assume Google and Apple, who have their own issues with uh, data preservation, I assume state-level uh, contact tracing that does not make use of high-tech protocols. What do we know about what their plans are for the data or if it's just going to sit there or if they have some sort of strict protocol for destroying it? So with respect to the technological approaches, if you're using the Google Apple model, um, that is essentially as decentralized as, as it's possible to be. So um, if you're talking about technology-assisted contact tracing, using the Google Apple protocol, uh, in that instance, the data about proximity is transmitted using anonymous Bluetooth identifiers. So you don't have you know, someone's name or identity. What you have is just transmission of a cycling uh, anonymous string. Uh, and so the phones are essentially recording a, uh, a database of anonymous strings they've received from other phones. Uh, and then later checking that against a list of uh, confirmed positives uh, that whose anonymous strings are then uploaded to a public list. But essentially all the contact data is anonymized uh, and, and you know, actually anonymized in a, in a relatively meaningful way uh, and is stored only on individual devices themselves. So there's no central repository in that case. So to the extent that is the mechanism uh, for contact tracing, there isn't really a question of data use restrictions or data privacy issues because um, there is no centralized store of data. Um, the, the data never essentially leaves the, the end user's phone. But of course, many states uh, have uh, their own models or are doing manual contact tracing or have their own apps because they think it's useful for the public health authorities to have uh, more centralized data. Uh, and, and there you really do have to look uh, state by state um, and see what the individual public health authorities uh, rules and policies are. I do think one of the concerns, uh, you know, folks have about this is that uh, they are so overwhelmed that it is, it's not, it's hard to have a clear picture of how, you know, every different state is meaningfully implementing uh, restrictions on the data they're gathering, which I think is in turn, perhaps part of the reason you have in a lot of places, 
relatively low compliance and participation with contact tracing. People want to be, uh, you know, assured that if you're, uh, in, in the case of manual tracing, you're talking to an interview and telling them, well, who did you spend last night with, or you know, uh, what what social event, you know, perhaps were you at at a time when it's frowned on that if you were at a social event, um, uh, and, and people, you know want to be assured that that's not data that's going to uh, come back to haunt them. At this point, it it seems like contact tracing is a solution in search of a well-fitting problem. Julian, you noted that uh, at some point down the line, it may be uh, useful, in fact, uh, very helpful to prevent outbreaks. But, um, you know, as, as states uh, appear to want to look like they're doing something uh, and technology offers a potential solution. Is there something that they clearly ought to be doing? I would say that when it comes to the specific uh, technology we've been discussing in many parts of the country, uh, the horses has left the barn. However, the the depressing reality of, of the world we live in is that uh, we will face one of these pandemics again. And uh, that's, uh, we we can at least take a look at the current situation and perhaps learn this lesson from it. And we, I think it's it's fair to say, uh, and and Spencer Ackerman at the Daily Beast wrote a, a good article about this. It's it's fair to say that if we'd um, acted earlier uh, and uh, used the technology uh, when we knew that this was a potentially going to be a huge issue, uh, the technology could have been useful and given certain privacy protections uh, would have been valuable. Uh, however, I, I do expect that because states have an incentive to to look aggressive on this, there may well be more state-level uh, contact tracing apps uh, developed, but that uh, in many parts of the country, I don't see them being particularly uh, particularly useful. However, we do know that uh, something like this will happen again. And, and when it does, I hope that we can at least learn some lessons about the effectiveness of technology-based contact tracing and uh, when it should be deployed. I think it's fair to say uh, in the United States, it was, it was too late. I, mean, I also say, I think, it really, given, the, given the realities of cross-border cross and cross-jurisdictional transit in the U.S., a system where we are sort of expecting people to find and download the individual uh, app produced by or for their state, um, which may or may not work with the app that is being downloaded and used in the next state over. And, you know, a lot of people live in one state and work in another. Um, you know, people who work in, in, in New York, but live in New Jersey or Connecticut, that is not necessarily a super useful model. And so I think one of the things that makes this less useful is, you know, don't necessarily know what they have to do or what they need to download. Um, and, you have systems that, you know, frankly, are not going to be that useful if they do not work together. If you have people in two adjacent states and the apps, um, you know, either are not talking to each other or are not consulting uh, the same, uh, you know, so the same notification lists, or just in general are not designed to uh, necessarily be compatible, um, the utility drops off significantly. Uh, and so to some extent, there's a, a kind of collective action problem where, uh, you know, if you're in, in one state, but all the other states around you haven't got their systems up and running and functional yet, uh, then, well, at some point, maybe this is not the best place to invest your resources. Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Matthew Feeney directs Cato's project on emerging technologies. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. Podcast. 